0: Hello, hello, hello. Today is July 16th, 2019, and you are listening to a brand new episode of Ramblings of Elaine Girl. I'm your host, Erin. On this week's podcast, we start our discussion of Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton, the biography that inspired the Tony Award-winning musical. And let me tell you, it's going to be a wild. Hang on tight, the new episode of Ramblings of a Random Fangirl starts now. Before we get started, I want to make a quick shout out to my listeners and ask you guys to send me some voice messages. If you have Anchor and you're listening to this podcast, you have the ability to send in voice messages up to a minute that can be incorporated into the podcast, and I would love to hear what you have to say. If you don't have Anchor, it's free, so there's a pretty easy way to get started. All you have to do is create an account. Looking forward to seeing what you send me. Thanks, guys. So, we're going to start off this segment by a little thing I'm going to call What's the 411? The reason I want to call it that is because if you don't know your slang, 411 means information. So I want to give you guys a little background information about why we're talking about these specific things today. If you know your background on Hamilton, you know that Ron Chernow is an amazing, slightly brick-ish biographer who has done some great work on historical figures, um if you have not read it, I highly recommend Alexander Hamilton as well as his biography of George Washington, Washington alike, um both are incredibly rich, um incredibly, incredibly dense with history, um So I will warn you, they are tough reads, but they are worth it. Because you can glean so much information about the founding fathers that you never would have known otherwise. And I think what I found interesting is there were aspects of Alexander Hamilton's life that I repeatedly heard men say when I've listened to videos of him talking about it, that Hamilton's story was one of the most hip-hop things he'd ever heard, and <laughs> after reading the first, at this point, two chapters, which we'll get into chapter two next, next podcast, but after reading the first two chapters, my reaction was, y'all, this You'll see what I mean when we get into actually discussing it, but there are some things in the book that I think definitely heighten your understanding of why Lynn saw this as sort of a hip-hop tale um, (laughs) of sorts, and why I kind of agree with them. So, coming up in the next segment, we will talk about chapters, um, specifically chapter one, um, and how long it's probably going to take us to get through this, as well as my thoughts on the first chapter. See you on the other side. actually opens up talking about Eliza Schuyler Hamilton the widow of Alexander Hamilton which is why I think it's so important to note that Lynn included Eliza Schuyler Hamilton in the musical as well he didn't shy away from the fact that this was as much her story as it was Hamilton's she was the one who kept his legacy. She was the one who told his story. I've addressed this in previous episodes of the podcast. But it bears repeating because this was done in a time period where women did not have much of a voice. And that makes it pretty interesting to see that we saw a woman um, kind of telling the story of a man who founded or helped to found our country and I think it's an interesting take that you get to see both of their stories sort of encapsulated and that even though this is Alexander's biography Cher now takes the time to point out that if it hadn't been for Eliza His story wouldn't have been told at all. I'll expand on this in another section of the podcast. But. I think. The other part of it. That's very. um, Clear. Is the fact that. Eliza Skyler Hamilton. Was very much in love. With her husband. Um, Very. Very much. In love with her husband. To the point that he still referenced him as her Hamilton um, people have said that she wanted to save her husband's reputation as a matter of fact in the, in the prologue Chernoff states Eliza Hamilton was committed to one holy quest above all others to rescue her husband's historical reputation from the gross slanders that had tarnished it for many. For many years after the duel, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and other political enemies had taken full advantage of their eloquence and longevity to spread defamatory anecdotes about Hamilton, who had been condemned to everlasting silence. Determined to preserve her husband's legacy, Eliza enlisted as many as 30 assistants. To sift through his tall stack of papers. Unfortunately, she was so self-effacing and so reverential towards her husband that, though she salvaged every scrap of his writing, she apparently destroyed her own letters. The capstone of her monumental labor, her life's, quote, dearest object, in. quote. Was the publication of a mammoth authorized biography that would secure Hamilton's niche in the pantheon of the early republic? Now, if that isn't dedication, I don't know what it is. Um, we also know that she um, became very weary without Hamilton. And you have to wonder. How long would it have taken for somebody to tell his story if Eliza hadn't? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story indeed? In the next section, we'll talk a little bit about Hamilton's upbringing. And how this shaped him. So, for now, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get started with Hamilton's Childhood in the Caribbean. We're going to talk a little bit in this section of the podcast about Rachel Fawcett, who was the mother of Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton was often branded as a bastard. Um, He's constantly referred to in the musical Hamilton by Aaron Burr as a quote bastard for or son of a whore. Um but the truth is his mother went through a very very um, very very tough life. Um Chernow states that her mother, in Fawcett, married a well-to-do planter, and that's how she ended up on St. Croix. Um, she would later return to St. Croix with her son. Her mother's marriage was not very happy. Um, states that they squabbled constantly, that um, her mother was socially ambitious, didn't want to live on the island because there wasn't a lot for her to do there. She eventually reached out to the Chancellor of the Leeward Islands and obtained a legal separation from her husband, which was settled in 1740. They agreed to live separately and she took on um, her own property, renounced all of her rights get anything belonging to her husband, um, when her father died in 1745, when Rachel was 16, because of this, Rachel inherited all of her property, so she became sort of a minor heiress. She moved to St. Croix with her mother, started, started all over again. Um and there she was introduced to the man who would eventually become her husband, Johann Michael Levine. Levine was not a smart man with money, um, he had bought a sugar plantation in St. for the year that he met Rachel, and then took up a small cotton plantation. Alexander Hamilton describes him as quote, a Dane, a fortune hunter of the name Levine, who came to Nevis, the Disney with Gold and paid his addresses to my mother, then a handsome young woman having snow having smell fortune. Which meant that she had it pretty easy. Um They were they were very flush with cash for people on that island um he sort of made himself appear richer than he was and this caused Hamilton's grandmother to immediately see them He was older than her by at least 12 years, but nonetheless, at the age of 16, Rachel was basically betrothed to Levine. Um, according to the Chernobyl, biography, Hamilton says that it was, quote, a heated and the ill-fated wedding took place at the Grange in 1745. Now bear in mind, at this point, teenage marriages were common, but it, um, it was something that I think bothered Hamilton for the rest of his life. They did have one legitimate child, a son named Peter. And Levine basically spent a majority of Rachel's money. um, To the point that around 1750, Rachel basically decided that she had to get out. She had to leave. And so in the midst of all of that, Um, Levine filed for a divorce and accused her of in the words of such errors which as between husband and wife were indecent and very suspicious basically meaning that she had been an adulterous he had her imprisoned and this caused her to be portrayed as a prostitute. Um, One of Hamilton's journalistic analysis according to the book branded him as, quote, the son of a camp girl. Um, This has been refuted by other biographers, but at the same time, Rachel was known to have had relationships with other men when she was married to Levine, so it was at least partly true. It's interesting to note that um, the prison that she was thrown into was mostly. Were rebellious slaves who had got, tried to escape to their freedom, <coughs> had hit a white person, or had burned the cane fields. Other than that, it was pretty much the dregs of white society. Um, there's no historical record according to Sharon that any woman other than Hamilton's mother was ever imprisoned there for adultery, and she was there for several months. The irony of all this is that Levine was also a psychologist. he left Rachel live for three months and then had hopes that she would come back and she would be the docile wife he wanted. Um So he wanted her to come back and just be the perfect little wife. To love him and submit to him, Um, he said that, quote, everything would be better and that she, like a true wife, would have changed her ungodly mode of life and would live with him as was meet and fitting, according to the divorce decree. Hamilton later saw this as a reason why um, individuals revolted, even possibly as a basis for freedom. James Hamilton, his father, and how his feelings and business shaped Hamilton in his life. expect probably either later today or Friday. Um, this podcast is going a little later than I expected due to some difficulties. So, but I encourage you all to stay tuned for the story where we talk James Hamilton and, and his influence on his son as well as. Uh, Jeffrey. I'll see you next time.